Hi, this is Sarah Roos Essel, and this is my Substack channel, Me, a Name I Call Myself. This chapter is the last one in January, and it's called Get Into More Comfortable Pants and Other Essential January Epiphanies. I have a quick question. Why does the month of January have 300 days in it? No matter how much I try to get through this month with grace and positivity every year, I inevitably reach the same crossroads at the end of it. Will I feel this existential dread forever, or is it just a vitamin D deficiency? The last few weeks have been hard, even by January standards. I've been weighed down by skanxiety, a term the memoirist Sulaika Jawad uses to describe the shadowy unease that accompanies cancer scans and screenings. In the waiting room at the hospital, I doom scrolled through the news, though I knew better. The political situation in the U.S. baffles me. Brilliant Greta Gerwig and Margot Robbie were passed up for Oscar nominations. Wars and atrocities continue across the world. All of this, and my jeans feel too tight. There is so much suffering in the world, and I need to go jean shopping on top of it. Still, there is beauty. One afternoon, the fog was so thick outside Vienna that I couldn't see across the street. It lingered in the woods and vineyards that laced the hills surrounding our home. When dusk came, the trees and vines froze in place, bright silver as if someone had cast a spell on them with a single sweep of an arm. The frosted landscape was transformed into a Bruegel painting, and for a few hours, this California girl understood all there was to love about winter. The late January moon has been low and full. It traces the edge of the trees behind our house as it moves each night from east to west across the inky sky. When I can't sleep, which is often, I watch it cast shadows on the hardwood floor, its soft white light shimmering on our sleeping dog curled up on the wool rug. I've read that moonlight can recharge crystals, and in those lost hours, I wonder if it can work its magic on me too. I get out of bed and stand barefoot in it. On the way home from the hospital last week, I pulled over at the florist, looking for hope in the shape of petals. Her shop was mostly bare, but I managed to get a little terracotta pot of hyacinth and narcissus bulbs that, when left in the warm windowsill, would bloom in a few days, as if it were already May. Nature is both mysterious and reliable. After a few days in the warmth of my writing office, the hyacinth popped out of its pointed purple head from its thin onion casing and began to grow taller and more fragrant each day. Each morning, I would enter my office to perfumed air as if someone had come ahead of me, preparing this beauty in my honor. Then something strange and miraculous happened, at least by January standards. I was typing away at my desk and I heard a tap on the window and another and another still. When I looked up, I saw a small fuzzy honeybee knocking on the glass, trying to get inside to drink from the hyacinth. I wasn't sure what to do, I felt I had a cosmic obligation to open the window and offer this lone January bee my equally rare flower. But by the time I'd cleared the windowsill and pried open the cold window, she was gone. In old folklore, bees are seen as divine messengers. Supposedly, they're capable of navigating between the physical and spiritual realms. But this little holy friend had disappeared before leaving a message that I could decipher. The spiritual version of texting with someone and getting dot, 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 and then nothing. Later that same afternoon, I walked through the center of our small village to run a few errands. 
The sky was gray, the sidewalks were gray, the whole world was colorless. I stopped abruptly outside the little grocery store to admire pots of brightly blooming red tulips, which were electric against the dull landscape. That's when I saw her, the little bee. She dove head first into the dusty tulip cups, greedy and alone, happy as I've ever seen a living thing to be. I silently pleaded with her there as people shuffled around me. What did she want to tell me? Though she didn't stop for a second, I think the message went something like this. This too shall pass. These feelings shall pass. January with its insufferable 300 days in it shall pass. Go take your vitamins, drink a glass of water, and get into more comfortable pants. Years ago, when I was living in Chicago, I went to hear the great writer Annie Lamott speak in a small Unitarian church on the South Side. Lamott, who is as funny as she is wise, said something that has rattled around my heart for the better part of 20 years. She said, you can trap bees on the floor of a mason jar without a lid because they don't look up. If they did, they could fly to freedom. Instead, they walk around bitterly, bumping into the glass walls. I remember her standing there at the podium, pausing, her smile growing like a child with a secret. Then she said, you guys, look up. We're actually free. I've been clearing out my desk to avoid writing. This seems to be a common behavior amongst writers. If there's a deadline looming, we start organizing every closet and every drawer in the entire house. Tucked behind insurance papers and pay stubs, I came across a faded blue folder labeled Creative Nonfiction Writing, Miami University, 1999. I didn't even know I had kept these papers, the stories from my first writing class in college. I felt like an archeologist who'd unearthed a rare artifact a portal to the past that would help humankind understand itself better. Certainly these words would give me a little spark and allow me to inhabit my old hopeful feelings again, at least temporarily. I began reading with a trembling hand. Then I started to laugh. Nothing has changed in 25 years, not a thing. When I wrote these papers, I was 18 and it was the first year of living away from my parents. From where I sit now, two decades later, that time was when I was as free as I ever was in my life. But in reading these essays, I was full of uncertainty. The same questions circulated in my writing back then too. Who am I? Am I in the right place, doing the right thing? What am I meant to do with this one wild and precious life? I wrote last week about feeling confined in this particular season of mothering young children and managing cancer. I was convinced that there were things I could do to feel better, that there must be a prescription that if I followed it, I'd feel less burdened, more free. But in reading these old questions, the same questions I had at 18 and still have at 42, I realized it's not motherhood that has built a cage around me. It's not the glass walls of marriage or adulthood that I bump up against like the bees in the jar. It's my curiosity toward myself that has changed. I used to be lit up by the unknown. I used to carry a fire inside, kept ablaze by all the possibilities of my life. Now the unknown fills me with a great deal of anxiety. Now I wonder how I will manage what life throws at me next. 
Sometimes I compare my middle-aged menopausal self to my younger self, and I'm so discouraged by this change in me, jealous even of that other woman. David White, in his lecture called The Poetry of Self-Compassion, he says, our lack of self-compassion has to do with the inability to come to terms with this side that we disowned. We say, I do not own it. I disown it. That is not me. He goes on to say, it's almost as if we'll only go out of the house if the moon is growing larger in the first half of the month. We say, I'll come out until the 15th of the month when the moon is growing larger, but I won't come out of the house after that because the moon gets smaller. And I certainly won't come out for the three nights of the month when there is no moon at all. Lastly, he says, there's no confidence in the fading moon part of the cycle inside. I think what I need back is not some version of more freedom, but a renewed sense of curiosity toward who I'm still becoming, curiosity toward what life has in store for me next. I need to get the fire of possibility back in my heart. And I wanna learn how to love the part of me that is fading away. I wanna say goodbye to phases of life that are waning because in their waning, they're making room for something new, something I cannot even imagine where I sit right now. This poem is by David White. I want to write about faith, about the way the moon rises over cold snow, night after night, faithful even as it fades from fullness, slowly becoming that last curving and impossible sliver of light before the final darkness. But I have no faith myself. I refuse it even the smallest entry. Let this then, my small poem, like a new moon, slender and barely open, be the first prayer that opens me to faith. Rainer Maria Rilke once wrote, be patient toward all that is unresolved in your heart and try and love the questions themselves, like locked rooms and like books that are now written in a very foreign tongue. Do not now seek the answers which cannot be given to you because you would not be able to live them. The point is to live everything, live the questions now. Perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing it, live along some distant day into the answer. I wrote this excerpt from Rilke's Letters to a Young Poet at the end of one of my freshman creative writing essays. As I reread it 25 years later, rather than feel jealous of my older self, my younger self rather, I'm struck with a new feeling of gratitude. I've lived into so many answers in the decades that followed that essay. What a privilege it is to have aged, to be aging still despite the confines and complications of middle age. As the poet John O'Donohue says, what a miracle that there is something rather than nothing. The other day in the car on the way home from school pickups, I told the girls that I was feeling a bit down. I try to be honest with them about my own emotions so that they can begin to find language for their own. Maybe it's just Christmas is over and spring isn't here yet. I miss the happy energy of the holidays. I waned on, not sure if anyone was listening. The traffic light turned red and I looked back at little Heidi, who was quiet and still in her car seat. But Mama, she whispered, her big blue eyes wide, imagining something I couldn't see. Think of the snails. Think of the flowers. Think of the bees. 
she said breathlessly. My brilliant four-year-old teacher. I added to her list. Think of the moon. Think of how when she changes and then disappears, the whole night sky lights up with stars cheering for her return. We've got two days left of this eternal month. Can I make a few suggestions? First, comfy pants. Also, we should eat more vegetables, but let's also make nachos and peel them hot off the baking sheet while watching Gilmore Girls because sometimes the soul needs different things than the body. Let's change the water in the flower vases and refill the bird feeder. Stack a tower of inspiring books on the bedside table and get into bed an hour earlier tonight. Let's take a deep breath in love and respect for who we are and who we are becoming in these midwinter days whose clear skies offer as much freedom as the soul can hold, if only we're wise enough to look up. February is arriving soon, and she may be just as cold, but at least she's decorated with pink and red hearts.